Hey, what's up, guys? So I just did an episode with uh, one of my friends. We met Sarah in Springs, um, gone out a few times and kind of talked and gotten to know each other. And it's crazy how everybody has a story. Everybody's got a story. I have one friend. I have a bunch of friends that they're always sending me quotes and good advice and just try to surround yourself with like the right people. But they say that if you could trade your problems, like if you could take all your problems and put it in a pool and then you could go pick problems out, you would pick your problems over other people's problems because nobody's getting through life without trials. Nobody's getting through life without things being hard. And so Lisa comes on here and just does a good job talking about kind of how she ended up in spots maybe she shouldn't have been in and how she was able to move on and just a story about hope and like trying to make a vision, make a dream. If you can make a dream, then you can make a life that you want. You just have to make a vision and then make little steps to work towards your vision. And she breaks it down like she basically said for a little bit she had to do um, just get up in the morning, make her bed, wash her, wash her face, brush her teeth, make her bed in the morning. Those are like the three things that were like the first steps into her getting her life to where she wanted it today. So it's a really good episode. I got a part two, so I'll post that also. But hopefully you guys enjoy it. And then if you want to reach out to me. Um, do it on the King of Corona 2020 at gmail.com because that's that's the easiest way for me to keep everything organized if you want me to put things on the podcast. If you send me like a messenger or if you send me like anything like a text or something, I'll probably like I appreciate it, but like if you send it to that, that's where I'll kind of like use that information to try to build the podcast. So if you have ideas or if you like how I'm doing it with the guests or if you think it should be more of a conversation or if you think like you like that I, when I talk alone or if you like just give me some pointers. I want to basically give the people listening what they want. And so um, I love all of it. I love doing all of it. I loved meeting with Lisa. I love meeting with all the guests that I've had. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you. Experience true vulnerability, how to overcome trials. You will laugh, cry, and experience everything in between. Welcome to the King of Corona podcast. Brought to you by Tyler Griffith. Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, life insurance especially, especially when you're doing permanent policies. Yeah. All right, so we're live. All right. And I have, who are you? Tell my listeners, who do we have here? Hey everybody, my name is Lisa Lyncher, and I'm a native of Colorado. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a mom, I'm a friend, I'm an athlete, I'm a lot of different things, so I'm going to learn a little bit about me today. All right, we're going to start with a quote. So Lisa brought this quote, and this is a, it's a pretty good segue into what we're going to be talking about, but it says, it's funny... For all it took was a broken heart, and that alone was enough, enough for her to do everything she ever dreamed of. So, 
this, obviously, we're going to like touch on this throughout the the discussion. Mm -hmm. The conversation. Discussion. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Those valid uh, words. Yeah. So essentially, because you've listened to my podcast, so you know, like I brought some guests on, but Mm -hmm. my whole podcast is like helping through being vulnerable. And so I like to have people on that will be vulnerable and talk about things that like maybe other people are scared to talk about because that's how you can help people. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to start, I usually just start from like the beginning Mm -hmm. and then see what, like how life developed. And so you can start wherever you want. Yeah. Well, um, I will admit I am a little bit nervous about being vulnerable, but I think that we all are. Um, but it, it's a way of living as your authentic self. I'll tilt that up a little bit. Is it up bit. a little more? There you need go. to like, here, we can hook it on the necklace too. There you go. That's a good idea. Is that better? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Okay, so, um, you know, Tyler and I have had a lot of conversations. I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. Um, even though we grew up in a different religious background, it actually ended up being very similar. So even though you grew up with the LDS background. I grew up in, with a Christian background. Yeah. Um, at that time, that was when evangelism was really, really big. So we're talking the hellstone and burn fires, the priest coming up and laying his hands on you and knocking you across the room, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> what do you mean knocking you across the oh, room? Oh, have you never seen that? Like <laughs> Knocking you across Sometimes the room. Sometimes it does seem like they'll knock you down or like you'll fall or did there'll be people. Did you get knocked down I there? did not, no. Did your parents? Um... I think so. Not that I really specifically remember. I feel like I kind okay. of blocked out a lot of this stuff because it was a little traumatizing. I have to YouTube this. Yep. Okay. Yeah, definitely check that out if you don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about, like evangelism in the late 80s and early 90s. Okay. So um, that's what I grew up around. Um, another big thing with that was that women were always really, really submissive to men. Yeah. And so I saw that dynamic play out between my parents growing up. Um, so I was in the Christian church, grew up around that. Everything was really, really strict. We couldn't wear you know, certain clothes. Yeah. We couldn't watch certain things on TV. No, this wasn't like... You couldn't watch The Simpsons, I bet. I could you. not watch The Simpsons. Oh, dear no. Lord God. None yeah. of us could no, watch that show Simpsons. and it was the best. I know. It was the best. And it was funny the way we had our uh, basement set up. Um, so that's where the TV was. It was downstairs. It was me and my two older brothers growing up. Yeah. And um, it was set up to where one of us would sit to where we could see up the stairs and then the other one would yeah. sit like closer where we couldn't, you couldn't be seen from the stairs but have the remote. Yeah. So we'd be like looking if mom and dad were coming down the stairs, they changed the channel. Like we had a code word That's or something That's what's so funny like is like our parents thought we were just doing everything we were supposed mm-hmm. to be doing when like all it's doing is building this like once I get out of here, I'm watching Simpsons on like right. binge for five years straight. Yeah, it almost increases your interest in these things because yeah. it's like forbidden. You know, like, oh, you can't do that? Well, what do I want to do? I want to do exactly what you just told me not to do. Yeah. Okay, so super, super strict. Super strict. And, you know, it's a little bit different than the, than the Mormon church, whereas yeah. they didn't have these rules like strictly written out. And like, if you watch The Simpsons, you can't be part of the church family. It wasn't like that. Yeah, that was, wasn't, that wasn't like right. Mormonism either, but right. like we had very strict get into the temple stuff basically right yeah Yeah. and you know in christianity it's not as formal but you know it was really the law of the land in the house and you know if you did get caught doing something like that the consequences were pretty drastic um and so as as we moved on through life eventually uh, my parents ended up getting divorced and we moved a little bit away from evangelism and just went more like non-dominational christian church so i've been to presbyterian i've been to wesleyan churches i've been to a lot of different types of churches. I don't even know the difference, but um, there, when I was probably in middle school and high school, I actually got really involved in a youth program. Yeah. And I really liked that because it was very real. The uh, particular 
Sorry, I'll turn my, my ringtone oh, down. Um, you know, I really liked my pastor. He was just, he was real. Yeah. And he talked a little bit more about like the grace that comes along with Jesus. Um, and instead so, of the fear. Instead of the fear, exactly. Yeah. And that's totally the perfect way to describe evangelism. It's like hellstone and brimfire. Yeah. You better be afraid of God. You know, the wrath of God is going to get you if you do anything wrong. All that sort of stuff. Um, and then so in high school, I was a part of a really great youth program. I was, you know, volunteering, yeah. doing summer camps, going on uh, missions trips and different things did, like that. And we had youth, like youth camps that we did also. Did you have like, a, was it organizations where you had like, because we had what was called young women's, young men's. And so like you'd have like leaders that would take you like a night per week. Is that kind of what you would do? Or is it just camps or what? Like, it was just camps. So you go always, away for a week? Yeah. So did you know the people you went with or you just go with randoms? It was, you know, people that were in the same youth group as me. So I would yeah. see them while on Sundays and stuff like that. And we would have other different activities where we would meet. So it was generally people that I had been around in that setting. But you, um, like, you liked each other? Yeah. It was a good group? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we had a good time. Um, and it was, it was separated more by ages. Not yeah. like, and that was one thing I probably did. Was was, everything was co-ed. We weren't ever kind of split up between boys and girls. But it was like, you know, middle school, sixth and seventh grade. And then maybe they put eighth and ninth graders together. And then the older kids together. Okay. So that's kind of the only way we were separated. But, you know, most of these people, we had really good relationships with teens. And then, like, a lot of the leaders in the church, um, in the youth group anyway, it was awesome. Well, then, come around, like, my junior or senior year. And I think at mm -hmm. that age, everybody really starts to question their religion or you know what they've been Cause taught because you, you know? you're about to leave yeah. and then you yep. have to like decide am i going to continue this for myself mm -hmm. or am i going to abandon ship on this right yeah exactly and so i was very much into you know the church my relationship with god yeah. and everything and then um there was some change in management at, at the main church and they ended up cutting like 90 percent of the funding to the youth program taking away our building, firing the pastor, getting a different one, really just made this huge disconnect. And that really broke my heart. Um, but what really was really upsetting and was kind of the final knock in the face was a few weeks after all of this happened, I went to church with my parents in the main chapel. Yeah. Well, they had been refurnishing the main chapel. New furniture, new decorative tables, new pieces of art. And for me, you know, it was just like, Yep. I'm about to go into this world. I had this great foundation of people and support and, you know, talking about morality and being a good, good person and stuff like that. And the church throws it away so that they can cre create more room in their budget for furniture. Like that it just so sad. It's that, like, yeah. I feel like I, this is my number one thing I say with my guests. It's so sad. It is. I just feel so bad about like how these organizations just like take people and just use them. Mm-hmm. They just use them and they push this like fire and brimstone and fear to be like, hey, you could take care of yourself, but it's more important that you take care of this organization yep. over your own like needs. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And it just became, you know, very, very disappointing. And so um, from there, um, that was again like my senior year. So I went off to college and I really started exploring some other religions. I didn't get too in depth with any of them, but really yeah. just understanding basically what they are. And... Did you see, when you did that, did you see, like, was there vast differences between the ones you were going to? Or were they all, like, essentially, like, the same concept with a teeny bit of difference? Yeah, I would think one of the big, biggest differences is, like, the labels. You know, what does this particular religion call God? What yeah. do they call their holy book? You know, if it's not the Bible. Is it the Quran? So is it funny. whatever? And so what <laughs> I kind of... All their stuff is just funny. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, 
got respect for people that have, you know, rely on their religion. That, that's fine. It brings people a lot of strength. It's brought me strength in some of the dark areas of my life. But when I really step, step back and look at all of them collectively, they all have a deity. Yeah. They all have a set of rules that you should follow. And generally, for the most part, they should teach you how to be like somewhat of a decent person and consider other people. Granted, I don't know all the details of all religions, and I'm sure there are some out there where you know, we're going to disagree on what, should, what is good, what is bad, how people should be treated. Yeah. But for the most part, that's it. There's a set of rules and there's a God. Mm-hmm. And so I really started thinking a little bit more about it. And I was like, you know what? If God really created all of us, he knew that we were going to be incredibly different. So you started to finally think for Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what they don't want. No, that's critical like thinking. so scary to them. Like, yeah. uh-oh, Lisa's yep. a thinker. Yep. Did you ever see that movie Divergent? No. Where they got like the th- four different groups. There's the sports people, and then there's like the brainiacs, and then there's like the engineers. There's like four different groups, and so you fit into your group, but then there's like divergents who are like free thinkers. Okay. And so they don't fit into any group. And so like these people want complete like control and dominance mm-hmm. over these people. Conformity. And so if you're not mm-hmm. part of that, like these divergents are looked at like we got to get rid of them. They're like degenerates. That's how, like, church looks at, like, you when you start to become a free, like, mm-hmm. you start to think because mm-hmm. they're like, we need to control this person's thoughts because yep. if we don't control their thoughts, they're not going to give us money anymore. Exactly. Yeah, and unfortunately, that is a big driving church. I mean, it is a business. They do have a roof over their head that they got to keep going, and a lot of these bigger churches, you know, they've got elaborate light systems and amazing bands, and don't get me wrong, I, I like worship. <laughs> That's honestly one of my <laughs> biggest things it for is choosing so a church. Because I yeah. did the same thing, though. Sorry, I keep interrupting <laughs> you. Yeah. But I was like, so when I left the Mormon church, I was trying to like find a spot to fit in. So I went to all these other churches. It was so weird though, because like in my church, you'd have a hymn book mm-hmm. and like somebody would play the organ. It sounds like Catholic church. Yeah. And it'd be like the most boring shit you've ever heard of. Yep. And so. And you're like embarrassed you go, if you don't know all the words because everybody else yeah. around you like has it memorized. Yeah. But then you go to like the rock bands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't even know how to feel about this. Right. It was very like, it was like almost uncomfortable because mm-hmm. we're still standing there like, it seems like we should be up like in a mosh pit. Right? Like a, like it's a concert. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, I think one of the strangest songs that I heard played at, from like a church worship group was actually Fleetwood Mac, Break the Chain. Ooh. But the pastor did an excellent job going into Break the Chain, you know, the chains yeah, that life can have on you That's what you should do that, as so. a pastor is just mm-hmm. like use, use real life stuff yeah. to teach. Yes, stop holding these like unattainable, yeah. you know, spots that you have to hit in order to achieve holiness or whatever it is. That... But then they got to get paid. Well, of course they got to get paid. See, that's ah, the hard part. I, I tipped the rock band, you know, when they play some Fleetwood Mac. Part. I was like, all right, I'll give you an extra five. Make a little paper airplane yeah. with a five dollar bill, throw it up on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. All right. Back on Where track. Where did I de- back on derail track. us? So, so yeah, at this point. At this point, you know, I had grown up in a very strict kind of religious thing, but I started asking questions for myself. I found that there was some unity within all religions. There's a God and there's a set of rules. Okay. Um, and then I started to think to myself, because, you know, if, if God made us, he made us all so different, he's going to know that we need more than one avenue to go through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not everybody's favorite color is blue. You know what I mean? Yep. Just little things like that. Um, and so that really kind of opened up my eyes to all of it. And... From there, I started viewing religion and religious texts as like, as a, like a book that you're studying in uh-huh. school, as if you're in a class. And that's how, if and when I do go to church, I do consider it like a class on the Bible. Yeah. Like, okay, what's this story? 
what's the underlining you know moral of, moral of the yeah, story and t what can i get out of that that i can learn did you like sorry did you you want to make a little note or something mm -hmm. before i derail you <laughs> so did you think like the bible and all the stories you were hearing was it more just like stories for you like fiction or did you look at them more like nonfiction, or was it like the story about Noah and the ark? Was that like, did that actually happen in your head? Or is some of this stuff just like, these are good stories to teach mm -hmm. to like live by these principles type thing. Right. And I think, think it's more, more the latter of what you said. Whereas it's just like when you watch a really good movie, yeah. there's typically a moral of the story. Doesn't necessarily mean the, the movie's true. Even movies that are based on a true yeah. story, there's going to be elaborations and things like that. And, you know, just as humans, I mean, it's, it's like the telephone game. How many times has the Bible been rewritten? Yep. And so I really do look at it as what's the moral of the story. And so a lot of the stories about Jesus is not necessarily like idolizing him, yeah. but more how do I become like him? Because he really was a really good example. Yep. And as I've shared with you before, um, I think that there are other really good examples from other religions that are, we need to, you know, you need to show each other love. You've got to have compassion. You have to have forgiveness. But then at the same time, there's also a few stories in the Bible, and I think people often forget this, like when Jesus flipped over the table because the, you know, the people in the house were wanting all of the money. They're basically robbing yeah. the rich in order to let them have access to God. Yeah. And Christ got pissed, and he flipped over the table. And so just because if you're trying to be Christ-like or Buddha-like or whatever it is, the person that you know maybe showed that example when they were here, the texts yeah. that cover them, um, it's okay to to get mad and upset and yeah. passionate about things and to stand up for what's right, yep. you know, even if it does mean raising your voice. I got three kids. I raise my voice all the time. They're not going to learn yeah. if I don't raise my voice. But exactly. always coming from that place of, like, love and compassion is definitely where I started. And so at that point, you know, I'm kind of in college, and um, I actually am in college. Where did you go to college? I went to Colorado Mountain College, which is a community college here in Colorado. Okay. And there's, like, 18 different campuses. Um it was awesome. I was up in Glenwood Springs, up in the mountains, beautiful area. I studied photography while I was up there. So at the same time that I was dealing with, you know, figuring out the stuff with religion for myself, you know, um, I'd moved out of my house, living away from my parents. You know, I'd had a couple of relationships in high school and started dating in college and stuff like that. But one of the big things that carried over for me with religion was, you know, like the whole abstinence thing. Yeah. And I wasn't abstinent. That's like... like so do they pound that that they pound that into your head right like the sex stuff well that came a lot more from my mom I feel like actually at church it wasn't discussed as much it was more of a taboo subject but what don't you think like the church though like teaches the parents and then the parents oh, like absolutely. enforce it yeah but so like I don't think it would have come from your mom if the church wasn't pushing it through your mom oh, totally. to you well the other thing with my mom is she actually grew up Catholic too okay. so she grew up Catholic and then when she was about 20 years old is when she switched over to evangelism, Christianity, and all that sort of stuff. And so she had been raised with an even more rigid doctrine than I had. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, that was the belief. And I understand, especially being a parent, the idea of abstinence, it's a really good thing. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you don't want to have your kids getting teen pregnancies. Yeah. You don't want STDs, and that's a real big thing that you got to consider these days, the, yeah. the world that we're living in. Um, but it's really not a reality. It really isn't. But... I, it had been hammered into my head so much that you only have sex with your husband, yep. period. Well, because of that, I stayed in relationships longer than I should have because 
I had been intimate with that person. Yep. They were unhealthy relationships. They weren't relationships that were going to serve me. They weren't even necessarily people my family would want to see me end up with. And it's probably like the same, vice versa, for the person you were with. Like, they're probably with you. You're with them, and it's probably not right for either of you. Right. But you're both just staying in it because it's like almost like this cultural mm-hmm. pressure yeah. to, yeah, like like you said you have this like misconception of what it's supposed to be like mm-hmm. because there's no real good guidance out there for people. Right. Well, because nobody wants to talk about it. And especially yeah. with teenagers, like, and I understand it can be an awkward conversation, but if I feel like if I would have been able to talk to my mom more yeah. about some of this stuff, I could have saved myself a lot of heartache and yeah. gotten myself out of a lot of trouble. But I knew that even if I went to my mom and told her that I had kissed a boy, that I'd be grounded for like two weeks and I'd probably never get to see that guy again. You know, And then, and then that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Okay, if you tell me I can't see him, I'm just going to figure out ways to be devious <laughs> so that I can. Did, so you, it just, did you listen to the one with Miranda? No, not yet. Jehovah's Witness? Mm-mm. It's like basically like you guys said the exact same thing. Well, how crazy is it that a lot of the times you think Mormonism and Christianity are so different? Yeah. And they really aren't. So what, because Mormons are, like, because they believe in Christ. Mm-hmm. So they're considered Christian. That's the thing about Christianity is it's, like, it's so broad. There is so many. It's yeah. so broad, yep. but it's, like, I went, so I took a pastor out to lunch because I wanted to pick this guy's brain. And I was, like, honestly, like, do you believe your message? Do you? Are mm-hmm. you up there trying to make money? Yeah. I was, like, I really want to know. And I was, like, what's your belief about this stuff? What do you say? And I was like, I like you. You do like a good job, but like, mm-hmm. I just, I'm just curious. And like, I think I couldn't tell. I think he was telling me that he believed, but deep down, he wanted to be like, Hey, like, I'm just trying to like, this is, I chose this path. Right. I'm a pastor now. Yep. I gotta make a living. I got a family. Right. And it's like, I don't think at that point you're so deep into it that it's like yeah, that's your that's a, your life now pastor level too you know he was because, so good because he was one of those guys that would do like facebook like this is the this is the problem with facebook mm-hmm. so that's just a real life issue yeah but then he was a pastor so he'd have like the fourth sermon where he'd have to be like okay now this lesson this week is tithing yep yeah and you're like not the tithing again not the tithing again yeah <laughs> but that's how he makes a living yeah i mean so, it's it's again it's a business yes, you know uh, and Sometimes it gets twisted and manipulated. And actually what's really interesting is, um, so the church that we grew up in, like that my mom was the real fire and brimstone, yeah. is New Life Church. So I'm sure you've heard of it. And yeah, actually, right. I live yeah, right here. It's right there. <laughs> but um, it actually gained like some national fame. Yeah, with that With the, the pastor, uh, Ted Haggard. So yeah. Ted Haggard was our pastor when we went to that church. I remember we used to play with Ted Haggard's kids. Like yeah. they'd come over to our house for a barbecue and stuff like that. So and knew him well. Yeah, knew him well. And so, and my parents ended up leaving the church like mid nineties. Yeah. Um, that was when they split up and my mom started to see like it was just really rigid and mm-hmm. especially towards women. And my mom's so she a very started driven to see person. That. Yeah, she started to see it. That's so they really left good. New Life Church. But it is kind of crazy that, yeah, that's, that is the church that I grew up. And then, so if yeah. you guys don't, aren't aware of what the scandal is, um, this pastor ended up getting busted in a hotel room with another man doing inappropriate things and smoking meth. But this is what's so interesting. This is like, this is what I think, okay? This is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But there's so much pressure on this guy yep. to be what everybody Perfect. needs him to be. Mm-hmm. So when you're pushed so tight into this corner, your releases become more and more crazy. Sure. So like mm-hmm. for us where it's like, we're more true to ourselves now. Maybe we mess up and like get too drunk one night. Right. 
or just do like something's kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. But it's like, ah, I can live with that mistake. Right. And then you kind of get back to balance. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you had a pendulum swinging, yep. he's like stuck up here to the right. For and it's so like, long. he just let go yep. and he swings and he's just in a hotel yeah. room with a dude. Yes. <laughs> smoking meth. <laughs> Oh, oh man. damn, yeah. that not sucks. A good, not a good situation. So then he that got booed. Did he get kicked oh, out? Yeah. 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 So did he get a chance to like talk though? Did he get a like? You know what? I don't did really ever get know. to hear people's stories or did they just I don't like? Know. You're gone. Goodbye. As far as I know, that's pretty much how it went down. But yeah. I, that was an, another point in my life where I was just like unimpressed with the church. So I was just yeah. kind of like, oh, I'm really not surprised that happened, and didn't really give it too much of a second thought. But, I mean, New, New, Life, New Life Church is a thriving church. They have a different yeah. pastor now, and I know a lot of people that go there. They're one of, like, the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. I think most people I talk to here go to that one. Yeah. I'm like, why? Well, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest about this, too. One thing that bothers me about some of the churches here in Colorado Springs, especially up on the north end, Tyler and I are both up in this area, and it is a little bit more of a prestigious part of town compared to down south. I've done, like, church shopping, like yeah. going out and checking out all these churches. Well, I've tried some of these bigger ones, and New Life is one of them. And the one thing that I've realized is that I feel like most of the people that go to those churches, especially in this area of town, they're going there to be seen yeah. by their neighbors. Yep. They're not going there for a relationship with God. They're not going there to try to learn something, how to raise their kids better, or be a better person, or Get a whatever. cute little Insta yeah. photo, like with all your church clothes yes, on. Yes, exactly. In front of the church or with the flowers. got to make sure that you see you know, the head of the PTA and say hi to her so that she knows that, hey, right? look at us. So and then they get just, in the car. I, I've had a really hard time finding a church that really fits me right here. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, with my beliefs and the way that I see it, I don't know that I'll ever see that. The best, or I'll ever find that. And you know so the best churches. What? I found. I found here? it. Is it's it your inside? heart, but <laughs> do you know where you can like connect the best? Where? The mountains. I agree with that. You just go to the mountains and mm-hmm. you pick a trail and you just start by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're like thinking, would I rather be a new life? Where the guy's like, hey, oh, <laughs> like all annoying as shit, you know? Yes, yes. Or be there like you hear the birds, mm-hmm. like, cheep, cheep, cheep. I mean, yeah, I mean, just seeing that creation that's immaculate yeah. and beautiful in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. That's what the prophets used to do back in yeah. the day. Yep. Mountains. Yep, they used to go to the hills a lot, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, at this point, I'm in college, I'm questioning religion, also moving into a place where, you know, dating more and considering my future. So at that point, um, so you kind of tr- you said trapped in a few different relationships for. Well, too so I long. had I had had two boyfriends in high school. Yeah. And honestly, I stayed with them longer than I should have because we had had sex. Yeah. And so it was hard for me to leave those, but it, I was very happy when I did. Yeah. Um, and then I get to college and I meet this guy named Eric, and we start dating and you know college all that. Well, and anyways, we ended up just going real fast. Got engaged after like nine months, married like a year and two months after we had met. Um, I actually got married two days after I turned 20. So um, advice to anybody out there, like wait till you're 25 to get married. That's if you're a girl. If you're a guy, you should wait till you're like 27 or 28. 30 probably. Yeah, that's not even, yeah, that's that's a good number as well. Because you're not even close to ready. You don't even know what, you don't know what you're committing to. You're like, yep. So now what? Now, like, so now we live together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's our roles? Yep. And then you start to play house. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, should I get the groceries? Yep. I'm like, what? Here's the bills. Right. <laughs> you're just like, ooh, all the fun just got sucked out of my whole life. Yeah. So quickly. Definitely. Well, and it was hard too because you know I I got married before I was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my ex-husband was 23, I think, when we got married. Um, and so, actually, the first, like, year of our marriage, he was out every night at the bar. And I was at home. And I literally, I couldn't go. I literally could not go. Yeah. Um, and so that was really hard. And then, so we, see, I got pregnant with our first child nine months after we got married. So it's another thing. Is I, I think it's so funny, the questions that I get from people. Because, okay, guys, I'm, I'm a single mom. I'm 33, and I have three sons. My oldest one is 12. The most common questions I get are, were you married? Do they all have the same dad? And did you get married because you were pregnant? So, no, I didn't get married because I was pregnant. Yes, I was married when they were all born. And yes, they all have the same dad. Um, there you go. That's it's just rare. interesting, like, how in dating these days, like, these are legit questions yeah. and can kind of come up pretty early. So, um, you know, and so got married when I'm 20, got pregnant nine months later. So I was pregnant on my 21st birthday. Um, after my son was born, which is about six months later, the first time that we went out to celebrate my 21st birthday, um, I definitely was drinking a lot. Yeah. Um, me and my ex-husband got into a fight. He was a very jealous person, and a lot of that was because of the things that he was doing behind my back that I didn't know at that point. Yeah. Um, so he, didn't, he wouldn't dance with me that night, and so I was out with my friend Eva, and so she and I were dancing, and he comes up to me on the dance floor and like throws this glass of water in my face and calls me a lesbian because oh. I'm dancing with my friend Eva. And at this point, like I was probably like more drunk than I'd ever been in my life. That's so mean. So I stormed off. I walked over. We'd started his cousin's house. So it was a couple blocks away. Um, stormed, like I stormed off, went over there. And the last thing I remember is I took two shots of tequila. And then after that, the next thing that I remember is kind of like coming to and I'm behind the wheel. Ooh. Yeah. And so immediately, and it was like a, a mountain highway that's up in Glenwood Springs, between Glenwood Springs and Carbondale. And there was like a little gas station that I was coming up on. Well, as soon as I came to, I was like, I should not be driving. And yeah. so I pulled myself over into the parking lot. Well, my wonderful ex-husband had called the police on me. Oh. So I ended up parking my car, putting the keys in the trunk, like getting in the back seat, trying to call somebody for a ride. Next thing I know, the police show up and I go to jail and spend the night in jail and all that stuff. And this is my first night away from my son. I was nursing at that point. So that I, don't think, I don't think he would have bailed me out if we had baby formula. But he was getting to the point where the baby needed some food. So I think that's really the only reason he bailed me out the next day. And then <laughs> I didn't know that he had called the cops on me. So at this point, we had a couple of roommates. One of our roommates was Jeremy. And um, I'm home one day, and he just, like, nonchalantly mentions that Eric had called the police on me. Yeah. And I turned to him, and I'm like, dude, you better call Eric right now and tell him that you just told me because he's on <laughs> so, his way home. So, so this is, like, but this is a big moment where, yeah. like, so uh, this, was this like a huge realization this night for you? Like, whoa. It was. Um, first of all, I've always been a big proponent for not drinking and driving. When I was yeah. in high school, we lost one of our classmates to drinking and driving. And it was a situation where one of our friends followed him home, stopped following him in the last quarter mile, and that's when he drove off the road. Um, so I've always just not believed in drunk, drinking and driving. That's what sucks is like, because I'm the same, and then I got a DUI. Yeah. And, and I was like, what yeah, a joke. I, and I never thought that I would have. And you guys, I'm 21 years old. Like, not going to look good on my record. So um, I remember even earlier that night, I, was, I thought, I looked at my car keys, and I was like, I should give this to, you know, cousin's wife that was there. And I was like, no, I know better. I'll be fine. And so that's one big lesson I took away from it is, like, even though I know I'm not supposed to drink and drive, I do need to give up the keys when it comes. Because you get to the altered state yeah, where you're I not just, yourself. If I ever drink now, if I ever have a drink, mm -hmm. I will try to just Uber, like, everywhere. Yep. It's way it's, cheaper than a DUI. DUIs. Oh. And it's just a pain in the butt. 
So this obviously caused some turbulence in our relationship. Um, another thing that really kind of pissed me off about it and gave me some realizations about the relationship, um, my entire pregnancy, I was constantly driving him to the bar, dropping him off, and then I would go to bed, go home, pregnant. He would, he would call me at 3 or 4 in the morning, and I would go you back go to the bar and up? pick him up. And the first so, okay. night that I ever <laughs> drink and drive. But this is like... This is something to where, like, because if I was to, like, have, what's his name? Eric. Eric here. And I was interviewing him. I bet he's got this whole backlog of, like, you want to know where my head was at? I got married when I was 23. I had no, no idea totally. what I was doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he's just, like, drink, try to get through another day. Drink, mm -hmm. get through another mm -hmm. day. And so it's, like, that's what sucks. You're so young that you're both in this, like, confusing spot. Yep. There's not that many people that you see that are doing it right. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, what do we do? Right. Especially when you have kids involved. Mm -hmm. So you finally have kids and then like this, everybody's always like stay together. Everybody wants to stay together for their kids. For the kids. Yeah, for sure. We'll like, get to that here yeah. shortly for sure. Well, and another big point to Hang that on, too. I got to pause this. Okay. Are we at 30? Part two. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is part two. So Lisa knows where we're at because <laughs> I am the most. We've been a little bit all over I'm the place, all over, but so. that's all right. Where you guys have at? listened to before. It's, this is nothing new. Um, <laughs> so I was talking about how you know I got married real young. I got that DUI. My ex-husband had called um, the police on me, and you were talking about how you know from his perspective, he's young, got married, had kids pretty quick. And what I was going to say as we were wrapping up is that another thing too was that he had a lot of his friends around and his yeah. friends are early 20s and they're not in serious they're relationships and they're not having so kids so he wants us to live that so, yeah. single life a he, bit. and that's what ultimately like to sum up my marriage it was he wanted to have the wife and kids at home it's like a different yeah. kind of trophy wife like let me literally here you stay here and i'll keep you up on the shelf when i when i need to look yeah. like a decent human and a good man i need you and the kids to come out with me in public and you need to be on your best behavior and make it look like i have it all and I'm doing everything correctly basically so over the years that definitely caused a lot of resentment so to kind of skip forward through some of this um, it's going to cause a lot of resentment yeah for sure um, we split up after that DUI for about nine months and then we ended up getting back together to give it one more try because at this point we just had our oldest son Tristan um, and then so we actually what we had agreed on is okay we we're like right, let's get a 12 month lease at some place yeah and then after 12 months we'll revisit things well he also had this thing where he didn't want me on birth control, and he also didn't want to oh, wear no. any protection, and he also constantly told me he thought that he was shooting blanks. And he's like healthy 24, 25-year-old guy at this point. Like, What was that all about? I don't know. I think it was a control what thing. What was it with you believing all that? You know what? Is I, and this goes back to what I was raised in my religion, is yeah. a wife should be submissive to her husband. So he is like, the man of the house. Dang. He should be the one to make all the choices. You know what I mean? Almost to the point she where it's like, like I don't... respected his yeah. decision like too much to where like you don't feel like you had enough exactly. of a voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also, you know, in these years while we're having the kids real young, I'm not able to produce as much income. So in those first couple of years, he had a lot more reins over that, and that made him feel a lot more powerful. And that and it was a controlling relationship. Yeah. And Guys, I do have a great relationship with him today, and stepping back, I can look at him with compassion and see, you know, he was just as brokenhearted. He came from not a great upbringing. Yeah. He had a lot of insecurities. Like, there's, both people were wrong. You know yeah. what I mean? When all these things come together, and again, when you're so young. Um, and so, we end up, we're like, all right, let's get a 12-month lease. If it doesn't work out at the end, like, we'll, we'll revisit it then. 
Well, of course, I end up getting pregnant like seven months later with our second child, Eli. So again, stick through it for the kids. Yep, now you got two. Yep. And the thing is, is the relationship was very unhealthy. I knew that it wasn't good for me yeah. for the whole time. Because I remember when I was pregnant with Tristan, my first one, and I remember thinking to myself, I should not stay in this relationship, but what, what? are people going to think if I leave is, and I'm pregnant and I'm 21? Is that, that, that right there, you just hit on the key of the whole purpose of life. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, always like, what are other people thinking? Yep. And it's like, why does that matter? Like I was saying last night, I did in sync at karaoke right. with my brother, and half the people were like, "Dude's super gay. <laughs> He's gay. He just did in sync and he knew the whole right. dance." And the and dance I'm guys, super, not just the song. Yeah. Super straight. Mm-hmm. And it's like, people are like, "Did you know that you look like you're gay?" And I'm like, "That's whatever." Right. Like I really, frankly, don't care. Whatever. But at this point, you know, I'm. This is between the ages. Of, so 21, 23, and 25 is when I had my kids. And I didn't have a strong father role model. I didn't have a lot of confidence. And so I really did care. What are other people going to think? I thought that I cared so much so for a much long time. So much in those, those early 20s, you know what I mean? And you are figuring out who you are and yeah. what, you, what life is supposed to be, what you knew, you know, growing up and what you would change. And Because people are telling you, too, like, when people are fueling something, like, they're saying to you, like, you're doing, this is good, like, staying together for your kids is good, or, like, you feel like you're doing something to where like you're getting like um, acknowledgement from mm-hmm. like your parents and other people. Approval. Yeah, so mm-hmm. just getting like people's approval is so important to you and like you forget about your own approval for your own decisions. Right. And like, is this really making me happy? But then you just, everybody I think we think as humans because you see so many people doing things mm-hmm. just to do them. Right. It's just like, well, I might as well just do it too. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. And if I don't, I won't fit in. And then that can bring up other insecurities yeah. for things as well. Um, so I remember having that same thought through all three of my pregnancies. Yeah. When I was pregnant with the second one, I know I shouldn't be in this relationship, but what are other people going to think if I have a one-year-old and I'm pregnant and I leave? And then third pregnancy, what are people going to think when I have a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and I'm pregnant? So I knew deep down that... It just wasn't a good place for me. But again, even that early on, I got to stay together for the kids. And I was really concerned about what other people thought. So at this point, after, um, actually while I was like pregnant with my second and my third, I was working for a really great company um, called 100% Chiropractic. I started out as a receptionist and I moved my way up through the corporate ladder. Um, So we got to the point where I was actually the primary provider for our family for many years. Okay. Um, And at this point... This was shortly after the 2008 crash. I want to say it was like 2011, 2012-ish. And my ex-husband, he's from Michigan, and my family's also from Michigan too. Um, He was like, I want to move to Michigan. And at first I was like, fuck no, dude. We live in Colorado. I have a great job. We have family here. Like, I'm not going to Michigan. Like, what? No, we'll visit there once a year, but that's not going to happen. Well, at this point, I was still very much, I had gotten a little bit back into my basic, like, Christian religion. It was what I was most familiar with. I was just trying to kind of use it as an educating thing and a a guidance post. And I remember just praying about it and thinking, okay, you know what? A good wife follows her husband's lead, even though I knew it wasn't really the best thing. Also, at this point, I had known that he had been with some other people, and most of the time it was with within my pregnancies, but again, I didn't, I was, I felt ashamed of that. Yeah. I felt ashamed that I let that happen. Like I didn't want anybody to know cause I didn't want them to think less of me. And yeah. I well, wanted to present to a like, pretty picture. If, if people know 
Then they're like, why are you still with them? Type exactly. Thing. So you don't want that. Mm -hmm. And then I also, you know, I didn't want to tell my friends and family because I had planned on staying with him and raising these kids with him and I didn't want my family to hate him. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that didn't know and I, I felt very alone and it was a very secluded type kind of thing. And that was another thing about our relationship is he, over time, would slowly cut off like all of my resources. You know, I, eventually I didn't have any friends. Yeah. Um, my time with my family was very limited. Like, looking back, it's like, Knowing who I am today and how strong and independent and forward yeah. I am, it's like unbelievable to look back at this young girl that just allowed so much like disrespect and control over yeah. over my own life, you know? Well, that's, and like, it's so, the frustrating part is you, when you were high school age, middle school age, it's like, it just seems like schools, parents, people would just be more trying to teach people about their like value mm -hmm. as a human. Yeah. And like just going after something that you really love in life, go figure out what you love, go find that and don't attach yourself to somebody else right. until you really know who you are. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand why that concept is not like the number one thing taught because what do you have to lose if it takes you to 26, mm -hmm. 36, yep. 46, like the grand scheme of things, it's like if you attach yourself to a sinking ship right away, you're mm -hmm. going to sink. Right. So it's like, I feel like our culture just doesn't give people the opportunity to figure themselves out. And then mm -hmm. you get yourself stuck in this, like, like in these relationships or, and so people could be way further ahead than they are right now, but they're not, they're not even given like the knowledge. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, attaching yourself to a sinking ship, it's like you're doing that while you're trying to learn how to swim. Yeah. Also. Um, and it is, it's very interesting what is expected of kids once they get out of high school. Here, go take on a $100,000 loan. Mm -hmm. Right after that, make sure you find a nice girl and get married. And, oh, and make sure that your wedding is a thirty dollars to $50,000 thing. <laughs> and then the you know, ring. Okay. And, and you got to get the ring. Yeah, and then you got to get the ring. And then you're pressured to go buy a house. And then, okay, well, now we're married and we own a house. The next logical <laughs> thing is to have a kid. All of a sudden, you're $300,000 in debt. You're barely able to, you know, use your degree that you just spent how much money on, you know? It's just, I do not agree with our society's you're, view on you're that. You're totally stuck. Yep. So I did a, I did a podcast with my brother. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about, like, our upbringing, and I was just asking him, like, his point of view. Yeah. We were talking about how it's, like, in life, so, like, your decisions and stuff, you do have to, like, hold yourself accountable. Your life happens, and, like some stuff you really didn't have any control over right but regardless like you get yourself into a place where you got like things you got to knock down barriers to like be happy mm -hmm. and the, the society the culture the religions everything that we have do such a good job like making it really hard to get away yeah and so the hard part for people to see that there's like happiness and a future for themselves is maybe they're in a spot where it's like you got to knock down religion you got to knock down like you're in a bad job, you're in a bad relationship. And so it's like, where do I start? Mm -hmm. Well, and so many people are starting on the outside of themselves. Yeah. You really have to start on the inside of yourselves. But it took me going through all of this crap to finally get to the point where it's like, okay, I need to look inside and like what's within my control. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, can I just skip a little bit? Sure. So to look inside of yourself. Mm -hmm. So how did you like, how did you do that? Like, how do you do that? Cause like you hear it all the time. I, like I talked about on that one podcast, can't remember what it's called, but 
I was talking about Zig Ziglar. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I needed Zig Ziglar to help yeah. me like get through my day. Yeah. But. Like, so how did I get, how did I get to that point of realizing I had to do that? Yeah. Okay. So, um, as I, so long story short, ended up deciding I moved to Michigan with him. I knew it was going to be my last chance trying at the marriage. We were there for about a year and a half and things got really, really dark for me. And when I say dark, you guys, and this is a real vulnerable thing for me to share, but it's the honest truth. I got to the point where I wanted to commit suicide and I had a plan to do that. You were, how old were you? 26. 26 and I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. And I was incredibly miserable. Um, when I moved out to Michigan, I couldn't even have a job because the economy was so bad that the cost of childcare compared to what I would be compensated. And it, you know, and, and he was still doing the same stuff. Yeah. Um, I found out around that time that he was having an affair there in Michigan and I thought that maybe if I pulled him away from Colorado, he would stop that stuff and he didn't. So then I, I you know, I was ready to really give up on life. And then, you know, I look around at my kids and think about, okay, I'm young and I, yeah. I have a lot to offer. And so what do I do to dig myself out of this hole? But that's so I can I talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. So what's like the thought process? Because I've had, like, I've never actually come up with like a plan. I know a lot of people, and this is something that's not talked about probably sure. hardly enough either is like suicide. Because we all know people that have committed suicide mm -hmm. or have like, there's been just like attempts or just a lot of people that go through this hard stuff. But like, what is that like mindset, I guess, where you just lose sight of like, you just like, you don't even want to exist on this earth. So right. like, how, how do you get to that point? And then like, explain to people, like, I guess like where your head was at, mm -hmm. like, do you just feel like my kids, everybody be better without me? Like I'm so depressed and I'm just like, this negative energy that's just kind of just lugging my way through life? Like, right. what did it feel like? Um, it's interesting because I don't ever think that I had the thought that I thought that anybody would, my kids especially, would, have been, would be better off without me. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, suffered with depression a few different times in my life. Fortunately, like, I've never felt that I needed medicine. And when I was first, like, diagnosed and prescribed medicine, I would flush it down the toilet and this is one of my favorite things about my mom is that she was fine with it. And she sat me down and she said, you know what? You don't have a chemical imbalance in your brain, which some people do, but that's not my situation. Yeah. You are just going through really hard things in life. And so this was the darkest, hardest part of my life. When we were living in Michigan, like when, first of all, when I was in Colorado, I had a great support system, you know, a thriving business, which also yeah. brought me some, some self-worth. I had people around to help take care of the kids. Well, all of a sudden we moved to Michigan I'm stuck in the house. I have no friends. My husband is never around. He's me being incredibly financially irresponsible. I was always the one that handled things, but because I wasn't working, he didn't feel that I should have my reins on that anymore. Yeah. Um, and so it, it just became like a slow spiral of me. I was so miserable. I was crying every day. He was very unkind to me. Um, there was a few times where I like expressed to him, this is what I need from you. Like, I need you to tell me that you think I'm beautiful. I need you to make me feel like yeah. you want me, those types of things. And he would just do things that would almost like dig into the wound a little bit more. I remember when I told him that I needed him to tell me, like compliment me more. So he set an alarm on his phone and the alarm was compliment your <laughs> wife. And he would be in the same room with me, like sitting like we are, his alarm would go off and he would just ignore it and keep on doing what he was doing. And then, um, I was pretty much in charge of completely taking care of the kids and myself. Yeah. 
There was also a little bit of tension between me and my in-laws. Um, my ex is a very, very white male, uh-huh. and I have, some, I have um, Spanish and Italian in me, and his mom definitely grew up with very much like a bigot of a father. Yeah. And so she didn't like me because when we had children together, I tainted her bloodline. Mm. And so there was a lot of animosity there. She like was like a real thing. Like this was like so yeah, real was, hard yes. feelings about real that. hard feelings. About, and it's so funny because because you were born mm-hmm. because a I, I look different ethnicity. Right, I look Hispanic, and, and I've gotten this a lot in my life. And what's funny is I look Hispanic, but if you look at the rest of my family, I have seven siblings, none of which I'm fully related to. They're either half or yeah. step. I'm the only one that looks like this. Everybody else looks more like you yeah. than they do like me. <laughs> yeah. And so, especially like growing up in my youth, like I was treated like I was like Hispanic and like that we spoke the language <laughs> and that like my abuela lived at home and you know, like that sort of stuff. And so it was really hard for me. So I've always joked like, I'm just, I'm like the whitest brown person you'll ever meet. Yeah. My friend Alyssa just said that to me the other day, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, I look brown, but so, I can't speak that's Spanish. So I don't funny, have that though. culture. It's so stupid because, like, it is what it is. You essentially are what you are. Yeah. And so then culture and, like, all of us with our stupid brains mm-hmm. look at something, and then we're like, this person's different. And then instead of just accepting people for who they right. are, it's like... Yeah, it's super frustrating. Yeah. So that was probably really weird to see that, especially with, like, your siblings being treated differently. Again, like, I always wanted to, I always really wanted to have a really good relationship with my mother-in-law. Before I even knew how I was going to marry, like, I always wanted, I love family relationships. So you didn't want to fight and hate your mother I didn't want to fight and hate, and then I tried, but you could just tell there was animosity and just different things like that. So, really, you know, I, I had a really great, safe environment here in Colorado, uprooted all of that to move to Michigan. Um, trying to do my best for my kids. My husband's around less than he was when we were in Colorado. And it really started to attack my self-worth. Yeah. And so I, my thoughts of that led me to suicide was more like, I'm not even worthy to live. Nobody can love me. I'm not good enough. And there was more of the thoughts of like, not maybe my kids would be better off without me, but like, I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not good enough to be your mom. Um, and almost like I don't deserve to live. Like it, it was like this personal attack on myself and maybe things would be easier you know me and my ex-husband were fighting a lot at that point he never wanted to be around that sent that that just reiterated those messages that i said and um it just became this complete place of hopelessness so how yeah how did you get out of that um it was like you did you was it a thing was it like or do you just just toughed it out and just kept going i kind of just toughed it out and kept going but i do remember like the turning point and I remember I was in our bedroom and he wasn't home I think the kids were down for a nap and I just fell to my knees and I started crying and I was praying and I was just like God take me out of this place like get me out of here I don't know how you're gonna make it happen I do not know but just get me out of here yeah and at that point um, I had started to do a little bit more with personal growth and development the chiropractors that I worked for in Colorado beforehand they were the ones that introduced me to a lot of personal growth and development. And around this time is when I actually discovered Jim Rohn. And Jim Rohn is, yeah. um, like, Zig Ziglar was his mentor. Yeah. And um, Jim Rohn is the mentor to Tony Robbins. So, I mean, just really, really amazing guy. Jim Rohn, just like Zig Ziglar, didn't even have a full education. Yeah. Made this amazing life for himself. Well, there's um, 
I'll have to find some of them on, on Spotify. There's this DJ called Dr. DJ Smooth. DJ Khaled. No. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Um, so yeah, DJ Smooth, and it's smooth with an E on the end. But what he does is he takes pieces from some of these guys' motivational speeches, yeah. and he puts them over beats. Ooh. And so that was like my jam. So it's like, you know, they're kind of reiterating some of these same concepts That's pretty good idea. for three to five minutes. I know. I would love to like have yeah. my own motivational speeches, like put over beats. That would be so cool. So I'll share pretty... some of that with you. Yeah. So I would say Jim Rohn really, you know, some of the basic principles that I was learning at that point is like, you have the power to make your life whatever you want it to Isn't be. That, how cool. Somebody just gives words, words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, like, you decide to believe the words. Yep. And then the words have power. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. So it's like me and you telling people listening right now, like, do you feel like suicidal? Do you feel like your life's worthless? Like, it's not. It's not. Like, you have, like, a purpose. You can mm -hmm. do, like, way more with your life yep. than you're doing. There's maybe, like, hard decisions between you and the life that you want. It's just, are you going to make those decisions? Or are you going to stay stuck? Right. And just, like, let your life just disappear well unfortunately so many people do that because not only is it courageous they don't to, believe in themselves right. that's why that's part of the courage you got to believe in yourself you have to be able to you know see some of the vision of what the future can look like and that was a big thing yeah. with Jim Rohn as he's always talking about you know what can your future look like and like focus on that um, and so yeah a lot of people just don't like to do that but the other hard part is starting to take those small steps yeah so eventually I you know, I actually looked at filing for divorce in Michigan, but if I did that, then I would have had to potentially stay there until my kids were 18. So then I had, and this was the hardest part for me, when I told my ex-husband that I was leaving, I told him, okay, I think we can make this work if we move back to Colorado and you get your 30-day chip. He had a drinking problem. He always had. Yeah. He still does, unfortunately. But it was, it was almost this, you kept setting yourself up for failure, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll do this if this. Okay. And I hear that from so but many I'll, people. But no, I'll tell you, I did that on purpose. Because, uh -huh. first of all, I wanted to get back to Colorado. Yeah. It would be best if he was back in the same state with us. Yeah. But I knew deep down in my heart he that wouldn't. there was no way he was going to get a 30-day so chip. this was almost chip. your out. This was my out. Yeah. It, because I had to, when I made the decision, it was January of 2014, and I couldn't move back to Colorado until March. Yeah. And then once you get to the state of Colorado, I had to wait six months to file because for those six months, the kids were actually considered residents sucks. of Michigan. Yeah. And fortunately, I know him well, and I knew that he wasn't about to go file all the paperwork, so I really wasn't worried. But yeah, so that, and that was really hard for me because I don't like to deceive people. Yeah. And as much as I despised him at that point, I still, it still didn't sit right with me, but it was like, I have to do this for me. Yeah. I have to do this for my kids. I've spent way too much time putting everybody else in front of me. Um, one of the turning points to going back to like um, staying together for the kids. Yeah. We were in Michigan and it was in January. We were over at his mom's house, and um, we had like just recently because the first couple months we had been staying with her, so we had some boxes at her house. We were over there for dinner. He's sitting on the couch watching a football game. I'm lugging boxes upstairs outside down the stairs and Michigan in January is icy and cold and dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, my I had, best friends from Michigan. Yeah, it's insane. And so I remember it kind of hit me at that point sitting there and looking at him and I was like, he doesn't, and his mom's like waiting on him hand and foot. And I was like, that's how he was raised. Like, this is what he yeah. expects from me. And for like, if it was my mom and my brother was sitting on the couch and his wife was doing all that work, she would have just thrown the hammer yeah. down she would have been like absolutely not not acceptable 
but his mom had no problem with me doing all the work and him just sitting there being like yeah. spoon fed basically. Yeah, that's And for like me some that's people's... when I was like, okay, I will be embarrassed <laughs> if my kids turn out like you. And so that's the, that is part of life like some people mm -hmm. just have different upbringings. Yeah. So that if you're raised to see things like this way, that's a hard thing too is to restructure your thoughts to yeah. be doing things how like you really should be doing things mm -hmm. instead of how you were taught to do things. Yeah. Because, like, when you grow up in religion, like you were talking about with that abstinence thing, and it's like it's just part of you. Mm -hmm. So it's like even, like, at this point, 38, and there's still this, like, Nagging shit that nags guilt. me. And yeah. I'm like, will this just <laughs> please go away? Same. Yeah. Yeah, it's But it's, like, almost to the point where it's, like, it's so far distant mm -hmm. that it hardly, like, disrupts me anymore. Yeah. But it used to, t it had control of me. Yeah, and it, it does. It eats away like almost at your soul, and then you start to ask yourself, like, why do I really feel guilty for this? And yeah. even going down to like, I mean, it's a natural human thing. And then also with myself locking myself into relationships because I had been intimate with that person and ending up in so many unhealthy relationships. Yeah, I've learned that like it's okay that I have needs as a woman that need to be met, and it's okay if I walk away from a relationship, even though we've crossed that line. Yeah, you know. But there's still times where I definitely feel a little guilty about that. Yeah. Yep. But it is what it is. 24. 24. So you got like six minutes to wrap this up. We got six up. minutes. I know. I feel like all of this story has been kind it's of like the bad up. and the, the ugly so this, and everything. But, but this is like, this is the part, because you're going to have most people listening to this. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people are stuck right now. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be like relating to the stuff that you're saying. Mm hmm and they'd be like, that's me right now. I'm yeah. that person. I know, and I and hope now you you're going to give people. them all this next six minutes yes. is going to be all this the best positive. Part. This is the best part for sure. So my plan ended up working. I was able to move back to Colorado. Their dad followed me a few months later. We ended up filing. Divorce finalized in like over a year and a half. So that was kind of a pain in the butt, but it is what it is. So at that time, I moved back to Colorado. I was working six different jobs. I could not find a full-time job. I had the three little boys, one, three, and five, and so they're going to childcare. I'm working from like six o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock at night. And even with working all those jobs, you know, there's times where I was worried about keeping food on the table. My car did get repossessed. My house almost went into foreclosure. Um, and, but at that same time, like, I really sat down and I was like, okay, if I just made this huge choice and I left the father of my children. Yeah. I need to make sure that I'm doing what I can to build the best life for me. Yeah. So at this point, and this is seven years ago, I grabbed a journal, pulled it out, and I start writing down, like, what do I want my life to look like in five years? Yeah. What does this best life mean? Like, who am I? What do I enjoy? Those types of things. And so in that time, I also spent probably a year or two really figuring out what is it that brings me joy? What makes me happy? Like no explanation. It's just this feeling that I have in my heart. Yeah. And so hockey is one of them. Hockey. That if anybody knows me, they so know I that's met, one. She was at a, I met her at a bar and she was like yep. decked in avalanche. I was, he was, was like, like trying to talk to me and I was like, space, like hang on. watch the game. Joe Sackick's <laughs> about to hit the freaking puck. Joe Sackick was retired <laughs> so long ago. That's the last but time that's I walked. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. We'll forgive you. So hockey is one thing that brings me unexplic unexplicable joy. Um, playing darts, live music, um, exercising, being active, playing sports, all of those sorts of things. So once I figured out, like, these are things that make me happy. How do I build my life around that? Yeah. Um, at that same time, I wrote down a bucket list. 
and a couple of things on that bucket list that were really awesome. At this time, I hadn't played hockey before. I had always been a fan, yeah. grew up with a bunch of hockey players, so I was like, I'm going to teach myself to play hockey. Another big thing on that list you is I told myself, what? So you, start, you started to let yourself dream. Yeah. Yeah. I started to think, like, if anything's possible, if I really want to do anything, what do I want to do? And then, and then from there, it's do like, it. how do I do it, you uh-huh. know? And so I read out this list and like what another one. What was the other one? Um, to, so at this point, my kids are one, three, and five. My goal was to bring my kids to Legoland when they were four, six, and eight. Oh, yeah. You and when I, yeah, when, I wrote down, when I wrote down this goal, it was at the same time that my house was about to go into foreclosure. My car is getting repossessed. I'm working multiple jobs. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, this is one of those goals that seems so freaking bizarre out there. How the heck am I going to make it happen? Well, at that same time, I'm still pulling myself out of this depression because, yes, I had, I had gotten to the point where I was like, okay, I'm not going to commit suicide, but there was still some underlying depression yeah. there. And um, I'm pretty sure this came from Jim Round too, but it's talking about just when you're starting to set goals, and if you've never done it before, and you, especially if you're in a bad place, you have to start so basic and so simple. So my first goals were to make my bed every day and to make sure that I wash my face and brush my teeth every day. And that is literally where I started. That's how and it then starts. This huge, and then I had this huge goal over here that's let me be able to take my kids to Legoland. which starts isn't, with that. Yeah, it starts with those little itty-bitty steps and yep. just building up and building up and having your eye sort of on that prize. And so since then, I've knocked out like 30% of my bucket list, including hockey, and that's something like... I'm so proud of myself that I did that. I started, I, yeah. I love it. And I started playing, I think when I was, I started skating when I was 28 and started playing on a team when I was 30. I ended up taking my kids to Legoland. Um, Dylan was four, it was Eli's sixth birthday and Tristan was eight. So just like I said, um, at that point when we went to Legoland, I had also decided to go to school to be a personal trainer because yeah. I realized I love being active. How do I make money off of doing something that I love? Yep. Um, and then, so it's just been unbelievable to realize some of the things that I've been able to obtain. But it's been focus. It's been yeah. a little bit at a time. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, people often overestimate what they can do in a year, but underestimate what they can do in five. So when I wrote down what I want my life to look like in five years, well, here I am seven years later, and I am completely blown away. I'm yeah. so blessed with my life. I've got a great group of people around me. Um, you know, surrounded by entrepreneurs and people that are talking about ideas and moving forward and growing and encouraging other people and giving back to the community and just genuinely doing the things that I love with people that I care about. And so I feel incredibly blessed with the life I have and I'm really looking forward to where it's going to take me in the next five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm glad. Like, it's really fun to see people. I can actually, it'll go a little bit past the 30. Okay. So I'll be fine. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I just like to see people... Like, because some people, when they get to that spot, they take their life. Yeah. They're done. It's, their it's, life's it would have been the easy way out. Sure. So, so many stories about people that, like, push through it, figure it out, and then it's just, like, it's nice for you to come on and just share your story because people are going to relate to it. Mm-hmm. Like, people relate to being in, like, I had somebody reach out to me that had the same thing. Like, they were going to take their life. Mm-hmm. And then... Because of some words, some words of like positivity, like from one person, it gives them enough hope to like move on to yeah. the next day. And then it's just, that's the one thing too. I saw, it was like Will Smith on Instagram. He's got some good quotes. He, but he was talking about, uh, he's like, today was a good day. He's like, make tomorrow a good day. 
make the next one a good day and then you're on your way to a good life mm -hmm. and so it's like if you can just focus on like first it's like you make your bed yep brush your teeth wash your face for me like when i got into running it was put my shoes by the door mm -hmm. and have my running outfit out yep so it was less to think about in the morning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so all i had to do was get up get my shit on and go run yeah and it's like and then you have the little goal of i'm gonna go like a mile mm -hmm. and then mile turns into 50. <laughs> And you're like, let's do a hundred. steps in between there, but yeah. <laughs> but it start. It all starts the it same. It starts with that little bit. Yeah, just yeah. that little tiny bit of. I know it might sound silly, but there is something that happens in your mind when you make your bed every day and make sure you know you're doing just your basic personal hygiene, especially when you set that for a goal for yourself because it is attainable. And once you have achieved it, even for one full week, it really increases your confidence, and then yeah. that gives you the courage to okay, what can I do that's a little bit more? Going on a run exercising three times a week whatever yep. it is that that is going to take you from where you are now to where you want to be you got to build that bridge yep. and you can only build it one piece of wood at a time yep so mm -hmm. thank you for coming yeah. on thank you for having me anything you want to promote you got anything um not at this point i'll have to come back on right. i got some things set up but exciting things are coming folks all right sounds good i appreciate it see you guys <laughs>